welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We are so enjoying our time being at Victory, being in the Rainbow's household, and um, what a privilege it is. Um, I never want to lose this awesome, awesome privilege of being able to know people in nations and uh, that you would come to church and listen to me is just a wonder and a sign. Um, And so, you know what, I I realized this morning that I didn't let kind of you know a little bit about us, maybe not all all of you know, um, but I have, we have two children, a son and a daughter, 23 and 21. And in September last year, within two days of each other, they knocked on my office door, came and sat down and said, Dad, I think I've met the person that I want to marry. They didn't know that it was two days apart. They weren't talking together, but kind of I was the pivotal point. And uh, I went... uh, the other day, went back into my journal, just reading again as I poured out my heart to God, realizing that for all the years that I had, we had had kids, this was the moment. This is the reason. This is what we had done for 23 years, brought our kids up for this particular moment and time. And uh, my daughter, who's younger, she, she got married first, and uh, they were pretty quick in it. They kind of wanted to get it over and done with, and so they got married at the end of January, and uh, as we kind of planned for the wedding, and there was a lot of excitement, and things kind of, I've had a very good and a, and a kind of close relationship with my daughter. It's been a, a beautiful thing. I want to say is that we don't deserve the kids we have. It's only the grace of God. I want to say that, and... And so my daughter, Michelle, um, in this time, just had a beautiful opportunity for mom and daughter to, 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 to kind of spend this time in prepping for a, for a wedding. And uh, it kind of pushed my nose out of joint, you know, because three years ago, she came to Hillsong for a year, and after about three weeks of her being here in, in Sydney, and me phoning her every single day, and... Um, and eventually came to me and said, Craig, you know, you cannot phone her every day. I said, why not? But so that's the kind of relationship we have. But in this time, it was just like mom and daughter, and they would go shopping, and the house just got fuller and fuller of stuff. And there were hearts around, and, you know, they were getting uh, dresses. And, and kind of like I was beginning to wonder what my role in this whole thing is. You know, I mean, what do you do? Do you just pay the bill and walk her down the aisle and then just kind of hang around like, you know, just this lost person. And so I was kind of battling with this role of what, well, how do I play this? This was it. This is the moment. This is what I brought my daughter up for. And uh, eventually Andy came to me. She said, Craig, get your head out the sand. I said, my head's not in the sand. I'm, I'm like fully involved. I really, you know, what can I do? What do you want me to do? And, and I kind of went away from that and I began to talk to the Lord and he it kind of affirmed that my head was in the sand. I didn't know it. You know, men, we kind of need to sometimes listen to our wives. And uh, just sometimes, not all the time, not all the time, not all the time. But, uh, no. 
And uh, I realized that I realized that my head was in the sand, and I and I was trying to deal with something, but I didn't know how. So I got on the email to a friend in America, and I wrote him a letter, and kind of you know to pour out my heart, tell him where I was, just kind of. And uh, he wrote back. He said, "Craig, I'm on holiday. When I get back next week, I'll call you." Well, I'm still waiting for that call, and uh, he kind of forgot about me. But I think it was God, because in the meantime, I went down into the depths of my soul. I don't know if you ever take time to go into the iceberg that's below us. It's kind of very scary and dark and icy cold down there. It's kind of the times where we don't want to go there, do we? It's, we'd rather just, just you know, let's let the tip of the iceberg out. But down deep, I went asking questions. Amazing thing, God began to speak. God began to speak. God began to speak to me. Kind of unearthed some deep feelings, and I was taken in a moment, one morning, as God began to show me something about authority that I'd never seen before. It took me back to a time when He had created man, the pinnacle of His creation, given him this authority, this responsibility to go and rule the earth. And along comes the arch rival of, of heaven and takes away this authority. Man gives it over in one incredible act of irresponsibility. Man gives over. Now, I don't know if you kind of look at the picture. God in heaven, do you believe that he had power to stop the devil from making Adam and Eve eat of that tree? Why didn't he? You know, if you saw your kid playing on the grass with a red back spider or whatever you call your most deadly thing, or because you don't, you have snakes here that can kill you? All right. What is it? What's the greatest? Eh? A brown snake. You saw your kid playing with a brown snake. What would you do, Dad? Yeah. You'd kind of jump in. And here is man, and he's playing with the most deadly in the universe. And he stands back and he allows man to irresponsibly give over that authority. Makes an incredible mess of things. And yet God doesn't get angry. He just makes a plan. He takes full responsibility when we should have. And then God comes himself to this earth. Jesus, Emmanuel. (laughs) It's an amazing thing. And he... He spreads his arms and he, he dies on a cross. And the Bible says that he goes down, he takes back the keys, he takes back the authority that the enemy of heaven had stolen from man. And he grabs hold of those keys of authority and he comes back. And this time, he didn't give it back to man because man last time threw it away, so he gave it to some angels. No, he didn't. He comes back and he gives it back to man. And he says, now I want to put you back in the same state as we created you. Now go and take authority and disciple all nations. And I I began to see something about the authority that God had given. You see, my greatest fear was this. I'm I'm opinionated. I'm quite strong in my leadership. I, I want to control things. Okay. I know you're not like that here, but that's what I am, and I know that. And my greatest fear was this. I was going to try and control my daughter. 
You see, for 21 years, I brought her up. I brought her up strong. I brought her up to, to, to go out into the world and, and change it. I said, Miss, you can make a difference. But I was, my great fear is that I will go and try and control her. And I said, God, if, what's going to stop me? And he, he just took me to that place. He said, that I did not stop man from giving it away. You back off. And then in this moment of revelation, I discovered, and as God spoke to me, he said, Craig, your role is to take your daughter and place her under the authority of a husband. You see, she's been, for 21 years, she was under the authority of a father. And I had fathered her. But now she no longer needed a father and I could no longer be the authority in her life. I had to hand that over by not giving her to another father, but to putting her under the authority of a husband. And I had this amazing thing. So I got them, we did this kind of little thing before the wedding and I got Carsten and Michelle together. And I said this, Mish, I'm gonna place you on your wedding day, I'm placing you under the authority of your husband. Please don't look to him as a father. You've had 21 years with a father. You don't need a father anymore. You need a husband. You'll bring out the best in you. I said to Carson, Carson, you've also been under a father and you know fathering, but don't try and father her. Now you've got to husband her. It was brilliant. And you know, in that moment of, we stood in a little passage as we were gonna go down the aisle and I, I, I was dreading this. I thought I was going to bawl my eyes out. And instead, she stood there and we looked in each other's eyes and there was a little tear, but she said, Dad, thank you for getting me to this place. We embraced and kissed and I just said that. And I walked down. You know, it was a joyful, it was really joyful. We, we had like a little moment where we jigged around, you know, kind of. Um, she's a dancer. She got it from me. And... Um, <laughs> It was happy, you know, we smiled and it was, you know, and I thought, hey, why? But five months later, which in exactly a month yesterday, my son got married to a Brazilian. She'd come over to our place to volunteer for a year, fell in love, and uh, so we had to go across a month ago to Brazil. And they do things a little differently, and uh, the, the groom's mother walks the groom down the aisle. And so Andy had to walk Kevin down the aisle. And so we did this whole thing, and you know, it's a different language and whatever. And so, you know, if you don't know Andy, she's a bit like this. Let me tell you, this will describe her, whatever. She's been, she's been, <laughs> she's been teasing Kevin for a while now. She says, Kevin, I'm going to grab you by the ear and I'm going to pull you down the aisle. All right, and then she'd have this moment of, no, no, you can't get married. She says, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pull you back. Don't get married, don't get married. Okay, so she was in this quandary and I, you know, if I know her, she could have done that. <laughs> but she came down and she started walking. She started crying. I think, wow, you know, this is my son. I mean, you know, we're not, we don't get emotional. I get emotional for my daughter. And the next thing, I was bawling my eyes out. And here we are. For my 23-year-old son, I'm got emotional. We're all crying. And I think, God, watch this. I was so glad that it was very different. But you know what it was? It was to see my son take authority on his shoulders. To say, I'm going to be a husband. I learned something about authority. I learned something. And I'm so glad. And maybe that's got nothing to do with what I'm going to preach today. <laughs> but I feel like I had to tell that story because 
there are some here, and maybe as fathers, and you, you want to tell you is that what you're doing is you're preparing your son and daughter or sons and daughters for that great day. Everything comes to that point. Can I say don't bring it, don't, don't, don't raise, don't raise a, a son or a daughter. Raise a husband and a wife. Raise a father and a mother. If you can do that, you'll prepare them. Amen. So one of the privileges that we have is going around the nations and, and preaching and uh, having been a church planter. In fact, we planted the church in the same year, so we were also 17 years kind of old, 1994. Very similar uh, kind of journey in some ways that we have with Victory. And so we're a church planter. We've planted churches out of uh, urban life. And one of our, our great joys, Andy and I, is walking with new church planters. Guys who are planting, guys who are just planted. And uh, many times as we sit with them, they always kind of ask a question around Craig. You know, what would be some of the top three things we should be doing now? Or, and it kind of always comes down to one, one of the answers I'll always give is this. Outside of Jesus, momentum is your best friend. When you're at a church and you're planning a church, momentum it's so important. Now, I'm not talking about speed. I'm not just talking about, you know, because you, you can have speed without momentum. It's like, uh, let me give you an example. A dog chasing its tail has got a lot of speed, but there's no momentum. Because momentum needs speed and direction. All right? And so this is one of the toughest things as church leaders is to get momentum. And when you lose momentum, it's very difficult to gain momentum. And uh, Tony has been alluding to some of our journey is that, you know, we had a great church, got a great church, it was good, everything was going well, but we were losing momentum, we were losing the it factor, we were losing and we, we, we couldn't kind of gain that momentum. And there was this season and this period of time which has possibly been the most difficult moment and season in 17 years of ministry. In gaining momentum, in, in getting, can I use a, you know, I was, we were going to Dubai, we were actually meeting the rainbows there and some other friends at the beginning of the year, and uh, turned on the TV screens in the, in the plane, and I watched a movie called Unstoppable. And as I was watching it, it kind of like, yeah, this is, this is kind of the thing I'm talking about. It's because you got a train, it's based on a true life story, that's, it's a runaway train. And nothing can stop it. And I said, oh God, that's what I want for my life. That's what I want for the church, is to become unstoppable. And it made me go back to the story, the original story of that movie. It was based on a true story. And uh, here's a narration of the true story with the visuals from the movie, just to kind of let you know if those of you don't. So can we watch that? Just, it's a little clip. It'll just give you a little in, intro. On May 15, 2001, an unmanned CSX yard train consisting of one model SD40-2 locomotive, 22 loaded and 25 empty cars, 2,898 gross trailing tons departed Stanley Yard. While the train was still moving at a speed of approximately 13 kilometers per hour, the engineer dismounted the locomotive, 
ran ahead to reposition the switch before the train could run through and cause damage to the switch. The engineer was successful in operating the switch just seconds before the train reached it. The engineer then ran alongside the locomotive and attempted to reboard. However, the speed of the train had not decreased as the engineer had expected, but had increased to approximately 20 kilometers per hour. He dragged along for approximately 250 meters until he released his grip on the handrails and fell to the ground. The uncontrolled movement proceeded south for a distance of 105 kilometers. At Kenton, Ohio, near milepost 67, the crew of Q63615 successfully caught the runaway equipment and succeeded in coupling to the rear car at a speed of 82 kilometers per hour. The engineer gradually applied the dynamic brakes of his locomotive, taking care not to break the train apart. By the time the train passed over Route 31 south of Kenton, the engineer had slowed the speed of the train to approximately 18 kilometers per hour. Positioned at the crossing was CSX train master John Hostier, who was able to run alongside the unmanned locomotive and climb aboard. The train master quickly shut down the throttle and the train immediately came to a stop. I use the original story because it kind of reminded me of the book of Acts. It was like Jesus gathers his disciples and he, he starts the church. And he, can I say, jumps off the train. He goes and flicks the switch and power comes down onto the train. And the train is unmanned, but it's God-powered. And the train starts moving through towns and cities and nations. It turns cities upside down. The church, unstoppable, starts to move and starts to bring people into the kingdom of God. And then it is like the years go by. And religion chases down the church, couples itself and starts to slam on the brakes. Man runs alongside, jumps in and brings it under control. I feel like God is saying, I want a church that is unstoppable. Would you get off that I can flick the switch of heaven and bring power back into the church? I want the church unstoppable again. Unmanned, but God-powered. And it's just begun to kind of churn in me. In fact, we're starting a series called Unstoppable this weekend. They're doing it, and um, we're doing something slightly different, but I just wanted to come and encourage. Because you know what I love about victory? It it seems like you're unmanned and under the power of heaven. I know you've got leadership, and I know the elders are there, but man, the power of God is in this place. The church is gaining momentum. You're not chasing your tails, but that you've got direction and there's increasing speed. And you know, when a church comes under the power of heaven and gets momentum, it can make a great impact. That's what we're on about. That's, it's so true. It's not about these lights and these things. I love them, man. I'm going back and I'm dreaming and I'm thinking, how can I carry on and all that, you know. But those things are external because there's an internal power that has to come through each one of us. The church can't be in momentum unless every one of us are in that place. 
the church's people. It's you and me. And so in that place of great turmoil for us and for me personally trying to find the momentum back in my own life to, to gather the church, I, I, God began to speak to me and show me a few things. And I, I just thought, you know what, if I could share just one or two of those things, maybe, maybe you're feeling, you know, like I was at the beginning of this year, I felt a bit clogged. Have you ever, when you're trying to get your computer to do something and it's just crunching and crunching and it's it just so slow. Or you're trying to download a file from the internet and somehow it's just not coming down. It's just, you're in slow motion. I felt clogged. I felt in the slow motion. I knew there was, I, I, I'd experienced momentum. I'd experienced direction. I've experienced purpose. But there was something that was just chugging. There was, it just, I almost in some ways felt like I'd stopped. And maybe you, you, you've looked and you're seeing people alongside of you and there's momentum in their lives and they're praying for people and wow, things are happening. Things are happening in them for their business or their life or the connect groups that you're in or whatever it is. And you just think, oh man, I, I once, it once was like that, but it's no longer. And God just began to speak to me around a few things because you see, if we're gonna achieve the assignment that God has for us, we're going to need two things to help us. And I'm going to use the metaphor of the train again. Number one, we're going to need agreement. First of all, we need to agree with heaven. We've got to come back into agreement with Jesus, who's the head of the church. We've got to agree to be on his track, not ours. We've got to come and, and, and be put on his track, which is the will of heaven that is done on earth. First of all, we have to agree to that. We can't just be riding on our own rails. We can't just be going on our own destinations. If we're gonna achieve the purpose that God has for us, we're gonna need to be in agreement with heaven. And the second thing is we have to be in agreement with one another. The church, God has put you in this church or you may be visiting here tonight. You may be far from God. You may have just wandered in here or your friend has dragged you in here by the ear and you kind of say, well, I don't wanna be here. But... Just give us a moment to have a look around and experience what others are experiencing in the life change that has come. When you hear a testimony like Rad's story, it just doesn't it just it just reminds you of your own testimony and story. Isn't it? It's just brilliant. I was listening to a testimony this week, one of our staff. We have a, a lady that does um, Home-based care. So in a community, and some of you guys have, have visited us recently, you would know, and it's a, it's, a, it's a community about six kilometers down from our church property. It has about 50 to 60,000 poor people, most of them living in shacks. Most of them uh, would be, uh, would all they'd have is a bed. And many of them have uh, got AIDS, cancer, uh, terminal diseases, and no one to look after them. And so we, we, we release, we've got a number of ladies in the community who go and look after the community. They give of their time to go and do that. We've got this lady we call Auntie Val. She's in her 60s. This blonde-haired lady has just given up. And she doesn't get paid for it. She just goes and serves in this community. And there was a man. He was dying of AIDS. And he belonged to a sect. It was like a, it's a religious sect. Um, and uh, he wouldn't have anyone outside of his sect to come and look after him and he certainly wouldn't have a white woman and she wanted to go and she went into the shack and, and, and he told them to get out and all she said she says I've just come to help you 
A few days later, she got a call, or the workers got a call, and they said, he said, I want to see that white woman. And called Auntie Val back. Auntie Val came back, and he said to her, he said, you know what, not one of my sect, not, well, I call it a sect, but not one of those people from that organization has ever come to see me. She says, it's only you. And she was able to lead him to Christ. She was able to, to, in the dying stages of his life, she took him and put him in a car and she drove to the hospice and he died six hours after he received Jesus Christ. You see, that's like jumping through the fire. <laughs> but one woman, why did I get onto that? The testimonies. And you see, God has got a purpose for us. He's got a plan. He's got a plan and purpose for us, each one of us. But to achieve that, we first of all got to agree with heaven and we've got to agree with one another. Amos says in the Bible, the Bible says, says, it says, unless two agree to walk together, how can you? If you're not going to get on the same track, you can be on different tracks, you can celebrate somebody, but if you're not on the same track, you can't agree to go to the same destination. And God's wanting to bring agreement back in the church. So we need to bring agreement back in our marriages. Very important. You can't just agree to disagree. You can't just agree to differ. No, no, we have to agree. And the second thing is, if we're going to achieve the assignment, we've got to align ourselves. We've got to, we've got to align. Unaligned carriages on a train is disaster. They call it derailment. And the thing is that many lives are being derailed because we're not aligning with the plans and purposes of God. And churches, and that's what we found is that we had, I had to get back and ask God, God, would you come and align us as carriages on the track that you've got us for? And if there's anyone that's not going to align them, it's better to get them off the track so that those that are on can be aligned properly. But there's one thing I learned about a train, and I need my props now. So where are they? Can I have those four or five guys? If you could make your way up. Uh Uh-oh, quickly, come on, come on. There we go. Yeah. Now, if you could just come with me in your imagination, if these guys were, were train carriages, all right, all right, okay. Now, you got you, there we go, there we go, like I told you, there it is, all right. Now, yeah, all right, they've got big guns, haven't they? Not as, a little bit bigger than Tony, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger than Tony. All right, let's go. So, okay, this is going to go south unless I quickly get it back, but if I... If I could just say is that if these are carriages representing us, representing churches, representing individuals, representing families, and, and I was the, the, the engine, and what we find is in a carriage, you can be touching but uncoupled. And the thing is that I can, a train can be pushed, all right? All right, but as soon as I do this, as soon as I start to pull, the carriages are separated. But if we couple properly, here we go, boys, here we go, all right. Now I can pull, or I can push, or pull, and they'll come in the right direction. Let's give them a big hand. Now, I do that to illustrate the point because here it is. 
is that sometimes we just want to be pushed, but not pulled. In other words, it's okay. The elders say, okay, we're going that way. And as long as the elders are pushing us, and as long as it's okay. But soon as we don't want to, they pull in another direction, and we're not coupled properly, we stay and they go. That divides the church. That breaks momentum. And so the question I have to ask is that are you really coupled? Are you prepared to surrender and go whichever way God wants you to go? Because you see, our beliefs and those things, our, our, our thoughts, those, those preconceived ideas, our opinions, I've realized that these things can, I'm happy to, as long as I'm, you know, as long as I'm comfortable with it, I'll go with it. But as soon as I'm not, I'll uncouple. And God is wanting us to be coupled together in agreement and alignment so that we can achieve the assignment that God has for us. I believe that God is beginning to do that. He's beginning to to bring these things into place. I just need to get my... One of the the great things I discovered in in this process, because I said, okay, God, I, I want to agree and I want to align. So how do I do that? How do I get back to that place where... There's this unstoppable momentum of God in my life, growing, ever increasing, the glory getting. And uh, I, uh, I discovered that God is a filler, not a forcer. God's not going to force his way in. That if we would make space for him, he'll fill us. You see, when, when, he, when he blessed mankind, before mankind, that irresponsible act, he, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He's a filler, not a forcer. In the book of Acts, when he flicked the switch and the power of heaven came down, in Acts chapter two, it says that he came and filled the room and then filled the people. I think sometimes we got it a bit the other way around. We want to fill people and then let God fill the room. It seems like the book of Acts, he filled the room and then he filled the people. I'm looking for that day when God comes into the room, comes into the house, and he's so full in the house that everyone is filled. I think we need to get, we need to get empty. We need to create space so that God can fill us. You see, in Colossians, it says this. It says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and the rule and all authority. In Ephesians chapter 3, 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. So God, I want to be filled with the fullness of God. Remember the story of the widow who came to a prophet and, 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 and she said, you know, the creditors are at my door. They're going to take away my sons. She had, your husband had died. She said, what do I do? And he says, what do you have? She says, I've got this little jar of oil. He said, I'll tell you what, go and get every vessel you can. Go and get every pot in the whole town. 
and then go inside and start pouring out the oil. And that's what she did. And she poured and poured and she filled every pot. You see, I'm longing for that day when every pot comes and we are filled with the fullness of God. Then we'll come under the power and the fullness of God. I want you to think right now, an area in your life where you want God to do something new. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's in your parenting, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in a relationship. Where in some area of your life do you want God to do something new? And you're desperate and you want it and you want to align and you want to agree. But friends, unless we make space for God to fill, we're never going to see any change there. God took me on a 21-day fast to renew a wineskin, to make space. And as I began to fast and as I began to put time aside, it's one way to create space. I haven't got time to share that tonight, but it's just was an opportunity where God began to expand the wineskin so that he could fill. And I can find, and we have found again, an ever-increasing momentum. It's it's not like you got a victory yet, but we're on our way. Let me end with the story. Some friends of ours I built a house for gave us a trip to Greece. And I'd, uh, they paid for it. I just project managed it. I was just before the ministry. Our kids were young, I think four and two or something like that. And uh, we took along our kids and we went off to Greece and, and a couple of weeks. And on our way back, we were coming through Schiphol Airport in Holland. It's a beautiful, it's a big airport. And with young kids, we had a long stop over and they've got this playground. It's not going to be quite like your playground there, but okay, you're going to remember this is 20 years ago. And uh, so what happened is, they were playing, and we were sitting in this, in this room, and the kids were playing, and it was great. And then the next thing, Kevin comes to me, or to us, and, and he, he points down to, to his leg, and he says, get it off. <laughs> and right down his pants and into his shoe was poo. <laughs> okay, and he's like four or five, okay? And he's like disgusted. And, and what had happened was, as he was playing, there was this little plastic slide in the room, and some other kid had, had parked a poo. And Kevin, not understanding and knowing, he went down the slide, and it just went all down into his pants, into his shoe. And he comes to us, now I mean, Okay, if it was my kid's poo, it's one thing, but it was my kid with another kid's poo. It was like, oh, no. It was a terrible mess. And then we became aware, we looked around the room, you know, could see all the other parents just like, ah, what are you, like, I wanted to say, but, you know, they all speak a different language. Like, this is not my son's poo, you know. (laughs) Well, what did I have to do? As a father, as a mom, we had to take responsibility. And we had to clean up the mess of the poo. 
But you know what, guys? It's a bit like us, isn't it? We're going down the slide of life and we came across the poo of sin. And it was all over us. And our loving heavenly father in heaven took responsibility and he said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. So I'm gonna send my son Jesus and he's gonna give his blood to clean up my mess. We've all got poo on us, haven't we? Let's stand together tonight. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.